the show you need to get what you desire by avoiding the mistakes made by others before you. Learn the stories and journeys of what success looks like to find the freedom you deserve while thriving with your best life. And now I present to you the one, the only Rapid Results with Andrew Wise. So Rapid Results with Andrew Weiss, we have Mr. Prophet himself, Rocky Lalvani, who's joining us. And in case you don't know about this guy named Rocky, he is the Prophet Answer Man. He teaches people how to ensure they get paid and make profit a priority. As a certified Profit First professional, he implements Mike Michalowicz's Profit First system. We change the accounting formula of sales minus expenses equals profit to sales minus profit equals expenses. This ensures profit comes first. Rocky started with nothing when his parents immigrated to the United States when he was just two years old and his parents were in their 40s. It was his parents' second time starting over in life as they moved here to experience the American dream. In spite of a lot of struggles and his mom passing away when Rocky was seven, he has been able to achieve financial and overall life success. Rocky loves to share his journey and inspire others to achieve their dreams even faster. So without further ado, Rocky, we want to know, tell us the biggest and best business deal you are most proud of. Well, I guess it's probably the current business I'm in. It's what I should have been doing my whole life, but I couldn't figure out how to do it until I finally did. And in doing that, I was able to walk away from a nice six-figure job, do a 180, start my business, and exceed within two years, exceed my the revenue that I was making in the W-2 job. Now I've got freedom. I do what I love. And it's been a lot of fun. That's incredible. You're able to exceed your previous uh, W-2 job as a solo or as a business owner within two years, you said? Within two years, yeah. And I I mean, I could have gone a lot further, but I I don't want to work that hard. (laughs) That's fair. No, you're definitely living the dream. And that's why we're here today, because I'm sure a lot of people want to know how the heck can I be like Rocky? So let's go back and, and so tell us about your journey about, you know, let's go back to it's the day you're quitting your job and you're going, hopefully, fingers crossed, I can learn how to make money outside of this W-2. Like, tell us about more of that journey. So first of all, don't be like me. Be like you. Because <laughs> if you're following someone else's dream, you'll make the mistakes I made, which put me on the wrong path and not to what was best suited for me and or what made me the most happy. So I'll, I'll leave you with those words of wisdom. So from there, when the journey to leaving my job took years to get ready, to find the right opportunity, to test, to make sure it was right. And then for a long time, it was always like, well, when do I actually pull the cord and do this? Do I do it now? Do I wait? And thankfully, Things at work stopped becoming fun. And so it made it easy to say, I'm out of here. And what I did, I think I quit on a Monday and I had already set up my appointment to meet with Profit First either Tuesday or Wednesday to sign up and, and get everything ready and rolling. So I had done a lot of the back work ahead of time. I had planned for a cash runway. I, I always assumed it would take three years to get the business up and running. 
So we figured out how are we going to operate for three years if no money comes in, this doesn't work out. At that point, I had uh, one kid in college, one on the way. So, you know, all of those things. And we actually sat down and, and mapped it out, created you and your a wife, plan. You mean you and your wife or are you and the profit first team? Um, it was a big part of it was me and myself. <laughs> no, <laughs> figuring it out. <laughs> you say you we, know, it's mostly yourself. Testing, yeah. well, talking to people in the industry, talking with my mastermind group, testing to see if it was a viable market, what, what kind of income, the deliverables, and then also talking to my wife to say, are you okay? This is what we have to do in order for me to walk away. So yeah, part of that, I think for her side, it was A, the permission to to be able to go out on the own. And then B was how do we do this financially? Wow. So, so making sure you have a plan in place, first of all, making sure you have people behind you as part of a team to make sure you're not doing this all alone. And and so tell us, so what what was your plan? Tell us about your first sale. You're like, oh my gosh, I might not have to wait three years to get paid. This is nice. Tell, tell us about that. <laughs> well, honestly, I think because I, I put up a post, I guess when I gave notice, I put up a post and said, I'm retired. We'll see what happens next. And then I think about two weeks later, I put up a thing, hey, this is what I'm doing. And so I did catch, so I had, so that's the thing. I had a couple clients on the side and on, within six months, they disappeared. <laughs> oh, what'd you, you do? Know what? It's a roller coaster. <laughs> well, different yeah. things happen, right? I picked up one or two new clients, but yeah, you go through that roller coaster of a ride in the beginning and it's until you figure out how to get your messaging down, how to truly define and figure out well, this is what I thought the avatar is. What really is the avatar? And so that's changed over time. Um, and we've gotten much clearer on who we serve and how we serve them. And then creating a good deliverable. I think that took until you start doing it consistently, you've got to keep improving and learning and, and building out those systems. So it, it took a lot of work and effort to be able to do that. What I do is not a simple to understand in how to how to tell people and then the other part is making those connections and building credibility and creating the no like and trust and then the other thing that happened is 6 months after i left uh covid oh, oh so man. you know that changed everything again literally covid we pivoted in covid i think within 24 hours wow so the business was always built to be virtual. So COVID actually, it made the world turn into working with us in a virtual way that they may not have been happy with before COVID, right? Nice. Yeah. People didn't know how to use Zoom. It was hilarious back in March because I'm like, I've been using Zoom for months. I like mm. I know how it works. Yeah. I know how to do all this stuff. And we're getting people come on who've never been on camera, you know, in Zoom meetings. It was just hilarious. I even made a video back then, how not to make a fool of yourself on Zoom. <laughs> I'm sure that got a lot of views and likes as well. <laughs> well, and, and how did you figure out like what you were going to offer when you were going to leave your your W-2 job? I mean, that that's tricky in its own as well. It's just like how do you figure that out for yourself? 
Well, so the history of that goes back almost 40 years. <laughs> uh-huh. So as a kid, I was very entrepreneurial. I was always making a buck. And one of the things I did was I went out and bought an Apple II computer back when they first came out. So it had a whopping 4K of memory. Ooh. Ooh, right. <laughs> I don't I don't even think you can store a letter in 4K anymore. <laughs> yeah, seriously. Yeah. Um, but one of the early programs on that was VisiCalc, which was the precursor to Lotus, which was the precursor to Excel. Hmm. So I was always playing with spreadsheets, and some people around me were like, you know how to do spreadsheets? Come in and teach our accountants in this company how to use electronic spreadsheets and get off a paper ledger then i had a a job in college working in a bank they're like you know how to do spreadsheets they're like come do our spreadsheets for us so that was my original idea is is being able to do that but i didn't understand how do you tell somebody you're going to build a spreadsheet and the value of it Mm -hmm. and what it does and so i kind of followed good and had a nice life and made good money And then I started to realize, wait a minute, all these people are running all these data streams and the computers that they're running them on and the programs are not giving them good data. They actually put it all into Excel and then they play with it in Excel and there's tremendous value in this. I'm like, well, I've been doing that forever. Yeah. Like Mm -hmm. now I know what it is. Now I realize it has value. Now it was a matter of how do I now make that to be something worthwhile to people. And so what we do for small businesses is we look at their financials, we manipulate it, and then we give them a very simple to look at dashboard to say, this is the equation of your business. And if you'll just do this, your profits will go up. Right? So Mm -hmm. it's taking the data, figuring out where the problem is, showing it to them, and then helping them figure out, hey, what's a step I can take today to improve the profitability in my business? I love that. And and it's it definitely is so crazy and easy to forget how much people forget about the importance of tracking everything. I, I remember like when I tell people or like my brother, for example, he's like, I want to gain weight. I'm like, great. What are you tracking? How many calories are you eating? How many calories are you losing? What are you actually eating when you're gaining those calories? He's like, uh, <laughs> so, <Yeah. laughs> so I'm sure it's just like, uh, when you're working with businesses and they're like, we want to make more money. You're like, great. How many expenses do you have? Why are you having those expenses? What are your where you're investing to be able to make more money. And they're like, uh, <laughs> so. Well, in a lot of yeah. times it's not like, I think everyone thinks you have to work harder to make more money. And I think that's mm-hmm. a complete misnomer. So let's yeah. just look, let's just say you're a million dollar business, right? Mm-hmm. And you're making a hundred thousand dollars a year, which is about, it's not outside the norm. Well, if you raised your prices 10%, you'd make 200,000 a year. Did you work mm-hmm. any harder? No. You just mm-hmm. made a change. You And a lot of business owners don't have the courage to raise prices 10%. Inflation has helped them get over that. <laughs> Seriously, yeah. In the same point, you know, if your business is there and you're spending $900,000 a year on running your business, I bet you you're wasting 10% of it. Mm-hmm. So if we can just go through and look at all the software you're paying for that you stopped using, If we can go in and look at where you're spending money on stuff that 
has no value or negotiating some contracts, you can pick up 10%. You just picked up another $90,000. So two simple moves that don't take a lot of work. And you went from 100000 to $290,000 in profit. That's what we do for businesses. I love that. And, and I love too, that it goes back to like, it was a saying it's simple, but not easy. And I like what you said too, like, it's okay for things to be simple. And, and uh, also when I'm working with clients too, it is interesting how much resistance there is to people raising their prices and understanding that people pay for value. They don't pay for time. And so obviously if you're going in and uh, you're saving and helping a company make an extra 200, 300,000, like you better be charging minimum 10 grand for your services. <laughs> because Exactly. <not> a, yeah. <laughs> and, and that's where yeah. a lot of people don't realize that that is possible. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. It is. And I mean, that's a no brainer business decision. I love that. And, and so tell us again. Uh, so going back to your first sale, like obviously, I don't know about you, but even, you know, even though I had the entrepreneur itch when I was a kid, you know, when I asked my first thousand dollar client sale, I'm like, oh, I hope they say yes to a thousand dollars. It could be scary to ask for your first high ticket uh, client sale. So t- tell us about your, your first experience with that. I'm trying to remember who my first client. Like the first year was a big struggle. Like I had, like I said, people left and I don't think I really picked up clients for quite a while that first year. It took a while. And then all of a sudden they literally just started hitting. Like it went from essentially very little to massive growth within probably a 12 month period. Like it, wow. it went gangbusters. So I think I, I just, you know, in the beginning, I also undercharged. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Everybody yeah. does that. But then as I started picking up clients, I kept steadily increasing my prices. So yeah. I think what I was first thinking about to today, I'm at 4X of what I originally started out at. And so from that, you know, from a minimum standpoint, so that's gotten a lot better. But yeah, it was exciting in the beginning. Every time you pick up a new client, you're excited. Like, wow, this is actually working. It's happening. What do you think was that tweak or um, was it just holding the faith of what you were doing? Just like going out and meeting people and networking and just like when you work with one client, they start referring you client. Like, what do you think was that? Kindle Firestar that helped you go from zero to all this traction within 12 months? So I think a, it's, it's consistently showing up, right? Too Mm -hmm. often people blow stuff off. They don't show up or they, I think most businesses don't have enough runway to get traction. And I had the runway because we planned for it and I kept showing up no matter what. And I think those are the two big things. The third thing is probably Yeah, it was probably about a year into it. I was constantly working on sales. And when I say working on sales, learning how to better talk to people. And then I partnered with another group that is that had created a good sales system along with a good delivery system. So that really helped me to be able to explain and show what I did and how I helped in the right language that the business owner understood and saw the value. 
And so putting those two things together, putting that and profit first together, I think really, really was a tremendous help. And then the other thing that happened is right when COVID started is when I started the podcast. Mm. So that also dramatically helped as far as a, a tool to bring people to me. The podcast is what brought some of those early clients in. That's that's good to hear too. And and so when you use your podcast as a uh, lead funnel into your business, what was your secret for getting people to actually call you? Did you have a good call to action? Did you say, oh, you get all these bonuses when you call me? Or just like, did you even put a call to action or people just knew to talk to you? No, I think I what I did first off was I, I just did nothing but teach, right? Mm-hmm. So in the beginning, I actually went through the entire Profit First book, chapter by chapter into episode by episode and taught, wow. hey, this is how you do it. And here's my insights on it. I had Mike on the podcast as well. And then we started to get guests on and we were sharing success stories. We were sharing how different people look at the business and look at the finances. So all we were doing was teaching. And at the end of the the podcast, I would just simply say, Hey, if you want a done for you service, my, you know, my scheduling links in the show notes, click it and get on my calendar. And over time, that is people like show up on my calendar. That's cool. <laughs> and the thing is, because they've been listening to me for six months, they're already, they already know and like me and they trust mm-hmm. me. Otherwise, they would have never clicked. And so that has really helped with the sales processes dramatically. And so with your model too, so it sounds like you work on a retainer model as well. Like it's not just one and done with clients. Correct. We work Mm -hmm. on an ongoing basis. Yeah. So, and the, the business was built that way because if I have to keep hunting all the time, that's a lot more work. So build a business where you can show and create a, a service that they want consistently month after month. And going back to the millionaire example, like, uh, so you helped them save $200,000. And he's like, oh my gosh, Rocky, thank you so much. This feels amazing. I can finally do the same amount of work and make so much more money to pay so many more bills. Just, just for those listening in, what would be the incentive to keep you on retainer if you've quote unquote already solved their problem? In business, problems are never solved. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, in the sense that you solve one problem and a new one shows up. Yeah. Right. So there is always that number one. Number two, if, and most of them don't, like my clients don't want to do what I do. Which is the evaluate their finances, you mean? Which is evaluate their finances. So if they're not having that monthly meeting, to look at their numbers, to understand what's going on and make changes. If they left within six months, would much change? Probably not. But you go out a year and little things are going to start compounding. And pretty soon that business owner is going to be back to the $100,000 because they're not measuring, they're not looking, they're not, you know, things go haywire again. So at the end of the day, you have to keep on top of it. I love that. So, so figuring out how to keep and retain clients is definitely one of the top skills that content creators and, and entrepreneurs look for. So how, how did you figure out how to convince these clients to be on retainer for a long period and, and make, make that happen? So that's constantly refining the sales process. 
in the beginning, I think we didn't have a good proposal system. In other words, how defining what we did, we were still figuring out commitments and all of that stuff. And what we essentially did at the end was take all the friction away. And so we created an offer that is pretty much frictionless that you can walk away at any time. There's no setup fees. It gave the business owner the comfort of knowing I can get into this relationship. And at any point, I don't like it. I can walk away. So I think it was getting rid of the friction, overcoming the hurdle. Originally, I was, I was quoting out a year of services which I think was much more of a sticker shock, right? They have to make a big commitment. When you only have to make a commitment for one twelve, it's a lot easier to say yes. Mm-hmm. And then it was getting in front of the right people. That is the hardest part, I think, is figuring out where you resonate and who resonates with you. Yeah, and so tell us more about, uh, for those listening in, like, who is your target client? Like, Does it have to be a seven-figure person in the plumbing industry or a seven-figure person in the coaching industry? Or is it... If you're like, I thought if you're making seven figures, I can help you essentially. So our our typical clients tend to be in that one to twenty million range. Oh wow, it's okay. a big range. It's a big range. <laughs> yeah. I mean, so here's what defines the range. They leave us when they bring in a full time CFO. Mm. Okay. Mm-hmm. So it until they get to the point where they need somebody in the position doing a lot more full time and being part of their team on a daily basis we are a perfect in between now what happens for those who are between 0 and a million we got a lot of those people too we realized they needed our help and that our pricing didn't make sense for them so what we actually have created is a digital product with support so the smaller business owner can can get in and at a very affordable price point, learn what we do for our clients, learn about how to set stuff up to do this for themselves. And we give them all the Excel sheets and the calculators that we use with our clients. So they get all the tools. And then some people need a little bit of help. And, and I usually find most do. But if you're doing two, $300,000 in business... If we sit down and have two calls, we usually can give you enough information to unlock to go run for the next year and move your business from where you are to where you want to be and give you the tools. So, And they always get to ask questions. And so we answer specific questions about their business to help them. That's uh, that's incredible. Off, off two calls, you're, you're confident in helping any business owner at 200, 300K to scale to where they want to go? Yeah, because I think a lot of times they don't even understand what's going on in their business. (laughs) Interesting. Right? If you sell four different products, do you know which one's the most profitable? Yeah, I hope so. (laughs) Yeah, I hope so, but maybe not. So Mm -hmm. I'll, I'll give you a story. I had one guy, one call. Okay. We looked at his numbers. He had a pressure washing business and a Christmas light business. So we looked at his business. I said, look, your pressure washing business is nice. It pays the bills. It gives you a little bit of money, right? You can have a nice life. You'll work hard all year round. I said, your Christmas light business has crazy, insane margins. Literally, you could shut your pressure washing business down, take nine months off and just do Christmas lights and make a crap ton more money. Okay. Mm -hmm. So he shifted his focus. He still kept both sides of the business, but he dramatically shifted his focus. And now 
he's making money hand over fist. <laughs> That's a good feeling to have. But it, yeah. It's just the insight to know, oh, I should do this. Or it, it might just be a pricing insight. We sit down and we show them, hey, you've got all these things and here's your pricing and here's your costs and here's what's actually driving your profit. So even if you're in the trades, you know, some of the guys, in the, well, I do windows and I do siding and I do this. When you sit down and you look at it and you look at the time that it takes and then your cost of materials and then you look at what you can charge because a lot of times you are constrained by pricing. Yeah. And you start to look at that and go, well, wait, over here in my business is where the best opportunity is. All you have to do is now start shifting your marketing and your offering to that part. And the truth of the matter is, and this happens for big companies just as much as it does for small, in the average big company, so this comes out of Jonathan Burns. He's an MIT professor, so clearly smart, right? He studied large corporations, and he said, about 30% of what they do produces almost all of the profit. 30 to 40% of what they do loses money and the rest is break even. And the problem wow. is nobody knows what's what. <laughs> How okay? do they not know? <laughs> well, so let me, let's, let's look at this from a psychological standpoint. I am the CEO of a large company and I go to Wall Street and go, hey, we're going to cut our sales 70% in double profits. We're going to cut our sales 70% in double profits. You see, look at that face, right? Immediately, <laughs> this guy's fired, right? Yeah. The board's throwing him out. But yet that makes common sense, does it? Like, No, it doesn't make common sense. You what? mean cut, cut your expenses 70%? Cut my you mean sales 70% and make double the profit. Yeah, I, I don't understand how that's common sense because sales the, means money, I thought. No, sales means cash coming in the door. But so let's look at this, right? I'm selling a million dollars worth of stuff. Mm -hmm. $300,000 of that million is giving me 150000 in profit. Okay? Okay, yes. Now, the sure. next $300,000 I sell... It's break even. We don't really make anything off of it. We pay our bills and everything's fine, but we don't make a profit. Because it's like a different product? It's mean? a different product or a yeah, different okay. service line. That makes sense. Okay. Now, my last product line, right, is 400000 and it actually costs us 450000 to deliver it. Mm -hmm. So I'm losing 50000 The problem is when you get into a large company, people start assigning overhead and this and that. It becomes very murky or nobody actually sits down to figure out, hey, wait a minute, what's going on over there? Why is that division doing this? And no one has the incentive. If you're working in a company and your division's losing fifty grand, are you going to raise your hand and go, hey, we're losing money over here? No, no you want to keep your job. <laughs> right? So nobody's yeah. going to say anything. Employees are not paid to make you profitable. No. Employees are, are paid to spend your money. The old saying was nobody ever got fired for buying IBM. Right? <laughs> People don't want to make mistakes that they don't get rewarded on. So we mm. change the way the business owner thinks. So this is where a business owner would have a real struggle. If you're in a business and an employee can come to you and show you how to save a hundred thousand dollars, would you hand them twenty grand? Oh yeah, easy. 
easy, but most business owners won't do that. They freak out over that concept. Hmm. Interesting. Right? They don't want to reward the person. Nobody gets rewarded for cutting costs. Yeah, that's true. Right? Mm -hmm. Nobody gets rewarded for increasing efficiency. What everyone does is work less and hide. Yep. So <laughs> Minimal you gotta, work. Yeah. You have to change the, the paradigm of your business and change the way you think around it. So I, I think that's a big part of it. Everyone's told you got to spend money to make money. And we say that's not true. You don't hmm. necessarily have to spend money to make money. You have to use your resources more resourcefully, which nobody is tasked with. So if you don't have clarity of where your money is coming and going, what your margins are, then you're going to struggle. So the next question is, so you guys mentioned, so obviously you're quote unquote less expensive than a typical CFO, right? Because like you said, people, when they fire you, they just hire a CFO to take your place essentially. Usually if that would be the progression at the upper end, most businesses are probably not going to grow that big. It's the reality of it. I mean, how many businesses hit a hundred million dollars? Not a ton. Yeah. Oh, you have right? to be. A, what, yeah. What, what should be a good revenue or I guess profit goal to bring on a CFO? Like, does it? Do you need to hit a hundred million to be bring on a CFO? Do you think? No, I think you can start looking at somebody like that once you once you're upwards of ten million, maybe twenty hmm. million. Again, it depends on your margins. You know, different businesses have different margins and different needs. But usually, once you get up above that 10 million, it's a question of what are the different roles? How do you do it? Do you outsource it? You know, and, and how does all of that go? So it, it, it varies. People think 10 million is a lot, but good CFOs are not cheap. And so, you know, if you're a $10 million company competing, with a $500 million company for a good CFO, who do you think is going to pay more? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. What are you going to get quality wise? And that's the other part of the problem. So there's all these things that are out there that we, we don't think about that really are in a sense disincentives or positive incentives that cause certain behavior. And until you sit down and think it through, you're like, Oh, that makes a lot of sense. And and that makes me want to ask too, what is one of your favorite stories of helping a company go from zero to hero or uh, one of your favorite clients you've worked with? And I'm sure all your clients are favorite, but... <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah. So I have had quite a few clients who came to me after they were in business 10 plus years. Mm -hmm. And after being in business 10 plus years, they did not have a ton of cash in the business, right? They did okay, but... They were grinding it out. And what we've been able to do, and again, this is not overnight. Too, too many people want overnight success. I think yeah. it took on average 18 months. But at the end of 18 months, they're like, I've never had so much cash, right? Wow. They're starting to pay themselves more, right? And, and they, then they're like, well, what do we do with this cash? And we're like, <laughs> well, we pull it out of the company and we go invest it somewhere else. Mm-hmm. And you build another stream of income or you do something different. But we just set up the, the procedures to help them generate that excess cash and to hold on to it and to invest it wisely. Too often, business owners get shiny object syndrome. 
And so having somebody to hold them accountable and say, no, we don't need to buy that or let's do the, you know, profit and loss analysis on making that decision is a big part of it. And you see that a lot with the trades, right? We, we say that the nicer the pickup, the inverse proportion of how quickly they're going out of business. Mm-hmm. Right, because if you go out and you buy a hundred thousand dollar truck, a lot of these guys don't realize you got to sell half a million or you know eight hundred thousand dollars worth of product to pay for that truck. It isn't cheap, and they don't think about it that way. They look at it as oh, it'll save me on taxes, or oh, I need it. We don't focus on what really needs to be done, and if no one's holding us accountable. We tend to get lazy in our business, just like we get lazy in life. <laughs> no, it's it's human nature. Like you said, mm-hmm. we want to be comfortable. We don't want to grow. And, and like you said earlier, like we'd rather not lose something than gain something. We gave mm-hmm. the example earlier, like we'd rather not lose 20,000 than gain 100,000, which is <laughs> just so crazy for the human psyche. And it's cool too. So not only do you help companies save money and find where they're losing money or could be making more money, you also help them once they start making a bunch of money, help guide them where to invest it as well? Well, I, I can't get investment advice, but what we do is we pull it out of the company. And then, you know, if they're going to evaluate another opportunity, we can we can show them what the outcome of that investment should be or help them with projections. Or we'll bring in experts if, if they just want to invest in stocks and bonds or something, then we'll we'll let them connect with that investment advisor, but will oversee that investment advisor to say, hey, this guy's not performing for you or this gal's not performing for you. So what are we going to do to make that better? Honestly, the simplest thing that I've been doing the last six months is I've been getting all my business owners to move their money from the bank accounts they're in to new high interest savings account. And so if you've got $100,000 and you switch your account you know, you're getting 5% now. They picked up an extra $5,000 for 15 minutes of work. Yeah. Yeah. So exactly. It's things like that that we forget about or we don't do. No, I, I love that. Um, my next question was so, so tell us more about how you work with the Profit First team. So, are you a contractor with them or do you just follow their model? T- tell us more about how all that works. So, Profit First has a designation. It's Profit First Professionals. And initially, I went through six months of training. And then annually, we have to get recertified on it to, to show they, they want to keep up their brand. So they give us all the materials. They give us all of their tools. We get to use you know the Profit First in our marketing and, and be able to do that. And so that's what we do with our clients. And, and we have a, you know, we pay them a, a yearly to be part of that and to be able to do that. And they give us the freedom to run our business the way we do. So for me, profit first is what we call an entry level. You have to give them what they want so you can give them what they need. And it's one of the tools we use. We have a ton of tools that we use in our practice. Profit first is kind of like one small tool out of the many that we provide. Gotcha. That, that makes a lot of sense. So it's a program that you got certified through. You have to um, renew your fee each year to like show you're up to date on things. And then going back to your business, so are you a solopreneur? Do you have a team? What, what does that look like? 
So I, uh, my daughter and I worked together in the company. Oh, how cool. Yeah. Oh, we'll have to dive into that a little bit. How, so like. <laughs> it's the two of us. I'm trying to rope my wife in, but she says no. Oh, darn and it. then other than that, um, for a lot of the back office stuff, we use contractors to, you know, like podcast editing and stuff like that. So just in line with our whole theory, we run a lean business and it's built to be that way. And I, you know, I, at one point I was like, oh, I should hire a VA to take care of my email. And I started going through my email and I'm like, why am I paying somebody to look at junk? Let's just delete it all. <laughs> and so I started unsubscribing and, and getting and just cleaning it up and just putting a little time and effort into that. Now I don't have to worry about it. And I don't have to pay somebody to essentially do meaningless work. Like the work is going to have a meaningless return. So how much can you systematize, automate, make simple? Like even now, like when I do emails, I use text expander. So all the stuff that's consistent you just do that chat gbt helps me write letters 10x faster than what i could do before and so i don't need to necessarily pay for all these things we just figure out a good tech stack and we try and keep our tech stack lean too because it's very easy to spend a ton of money on technology and and that's the way we do it i think too often people create overkill no, it's definitely uh, impressive how you um, laid out everything. And so, how do you manage your email now? Like, are you only subscribed to like three newsletters, and you just uh, just check your email twice a day? Like, how do you currently manage your email? I, I'm not that perfect. I'd love to get there. What I do is when I when I look at my emails, I literally go down the list, check all the ones I don't want to read, and get rid of them. And at the end of the day, it's usually, there's very few from clients. So that needs to get dealt with. There's somewhere, hey, that's something I want to read. And so maybe at the end of the day or at some point when I've got a few minutes, I'll read that particular article or whatever it is that came in. And so, yeah, I just, you, you just make it done faster. Like you get rid of stuff. And that's the other thing. If I can answer an email in a minute, I'm just going to go ahead and get it done. Because oh, I, like I don't want to have to come back to it. Like it, all my emails that I can answer in a minute, which the majority I can, I will literally answer in a minute. I won't. If it's something that requires time, I will then put a task on my calendar to work on that email at some point. And I'll tell the people, hey, we're going to work on it. It'll take me a couple of days to get back to you. I now have a task on my calendar during an open spot. So when the time comes, I look at my open spot and go, oh, that's what I'm supposed to do right now. I'm not thinking about what I'm going to do. I'm doing what I'm supposed to do. Well, I love that. Oh, and and uh, it's so cool, too, hearing your journey of uh, learning all these things. And uh, of course, the purpose of this podcast is helping people not make the same mistakes other people made. And so like what you mentioned, like make sure you're unsubscribed as many times as possible. Have the one minute rule. Decide what you actually want to respond to in the first place. And uh, the next question too. So well, going hey, back one to, other thing I do oh, now ahead. when I, you know, sometimes you have to sign up for stuff to get a freebie, all that yeah. stuff. I have a junk email. Oh yeah, that's smart. And mm -hmm. everything that I don't want to read goes to my junk email. Um, and we technically have a junk phone number too. So that how do you get a junk phone number? I, 
Well, we still have a landline in the house, but nobody <laughs> answers it. So I just send everybody the landline. But you can, if, if you want, you can go to Google Voice mm. and you can get a Google Voice number. Uh, there's ways to do it. Well, I love that. So going back to our conversation, you were talking about how it's pretty cool too, how you're generous enough to help people who are making $0 a year all the way up to people who are making, what, you said you have a client who makes $100 million a year or something I, like I that? Do. My clients are mostly in that, that the seven into eight figures. So, so eight figures. Say so eight figures. So still tens of millions a year is still, yeah. still pretty good. <laughs> yes. So the question is, so obviously for those people who are looking to get the six figures and seven figures and were, I guess, quitting corporate version of Rocky, what is the amount of time that you would tell them to put in each week? And if you don't mind sharing, how many hours a week do you currently work? So people have that inspiration as well. I'd uh, love for you to share more about that. Oh, well, A, I don't work. Because <laughs> everything I do, I love. Yeah. You know, client time is less than 10 hours a week. Oh, wow. That's like meetings, hours. you mean? Yeah. yeah less, than, less than 10 hours for meetings. Usually, probably less than 10 hours to do all the behind-the-scenes work. But that's because I limit the number of clients I have. I, don't, I could fill my calendar. I choose not to. Right? The rest of my time, I spend a good chunk of the week learning. So there's probably, you know, on average, four to eight hours a week of reading that. And then the podcast takes up probably three, four hours a week between prepping, recording, and, and all of that kind of stuff. So those are the, the things that kind of take up my time. But I don't work. I don't grind it out. <laughs> like, I don't do. I don't start my day till nine. and. Even now, I'm like, some days I, well, Mondays, we don't start usually before 11. Fridays are extremely light. You know, it's more of an overflow day. And, and I'm starting to move to 10 o'clock for the rest of the week if I can. So we're getting there little by little. So only 10 to 12 hours a week on client meetings. You said about eight hours a week on learning, about four hours a week on podcasts. Probably um, a little bit more on the podcast, but yeah. So rounding up though, it sounds like 30 hours a week on like, quote unquote, business oriented stuff. Well, and then there's also like networking and that mm. kind of stuff. Oh, and then if I'm on a show like yours, there's another hour. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, you know, so the, the weeks get filled, but Monday mornings are light. Friday afternoons are, you know extremely light and then it is not back to back to back to back it's yeah time in between things well it's still so cool and inspiring hearing you talk about all this and just like you said like you're in complete bliss and you're like oh i enjoy my client meetings i enjoy my podcast work i enjoy uh learning and and like you said you get to do what you want to do yeah. <laughs> at the end of the we, day we fire bad clients honestly we've set up systems to not attract bad clients. Oh, yeah. so tell us, tell us more about that because obviously with growing any business, it's not just who you want to work with, it's who you want, don't want to work with. So how did you just discover yeah. that? I think part of that is the way you present yourself. I think in the business world, it's a lot of hype, 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 and they'll take anybody. And we, if you don't show up for the appointment, I'm not going to follow up with you. 
Like, in other words, especially during the sales process, if you don't show up for your first call, I'll send you an email and leave you a message. You don't reschedule. I'm not chasing you. You're not ready to show up, right? I think that's a big part of it is giving them some hurdles. The other two, we tell them up front, this is not overnight success. Too many people are all looking for overnight success and that kind of stuff. And that doesn't work. And then I think it's just the way they behave during the sales process. If I'm not gelling, I'm not following up. Mm -hmm. I just let it go. And I've done the same thing with clients. I've had clients who, you know, especially in the beginning, and that's why I've learned because I'm constantly chasing them. I'm like, I'm done chasing. I just stopped billing them and I stopped chasing them. Wow. Interesting. And we were done. And do you, are there clients who think they need your help, but they don't need your help? Like, let's say a client's like, oh, I'm not making enough money. And you're like, oh, you actually need marketing and sales help because you're doing everything bare bones already. Like, do you you experience that? Not necessarily. I think everybody needs to understand the framework that we're doing. And that's what we built the course for. So Mm -hmm. you can go through the course and figure out your framework. Now, can we help you with sales? No, you're going to have to figure out how to go out and sell, right? There's no doubt about it. That said, you know, if we get on that call and you tell me your offering and what you're doing, there are times where I'll look at stuff and I'll be cringeworthy. Like I know, so let's take a very popular one. You tell me you're, you're a reseller on Amazon. I'm going to cringe because I don't care if you have a million dollars in sales on Amazon. Most of those people aren't making money. People don't realize how much, A, there's your cost of goods. So if I sell something for a dollar and I'm buying it at 30 cents, you think I've got 70 cents, life is good. But if you buy something for 30 cents and you put it on Amazon for a dollar, Amazon's going to take 30 cents. Mm -hmm. So now you're down to 40 cents and... Most people don't have those margins because they're they're usually not buying that cheap. Yeah, most of the stuff is probably closer to forty or fifty percent cost of goods. And so, if you've got fifty percent cost of goods and Amazon's taking thirty, and now you've got storage fees and shipping fees and overhead and advertising twenty percent to advertising, you just started a, a money losing business. And that's why a lot of these people bleed themselves to death over time in in that type of a structure. The question is, is if you look at the offering, is it something that is easily sellable? Like, are you trying to create demand for what you have or is the demand already in the marketplace and you're just trying to fill it? It's a lot easier to fill demand than it is to create it for something new. And so a lot of times, you know, if you even just running the numbers, if you're going to create a retail store, retail rents are sky high, like sitting down and saying, okay, if if I'm going to create this store, I need to sell X. We'll do the math. If If you can sit down and do the math and realize there's no way I can sell that much, right? That that's an unrealistic sales goal. Then you realize that your business isn't viable. And so what we've done at that point is we've, we have prevented you from a lot of heartache and a lot of losing money. And that's part of it is, is 
facing the honest truth that your business model isn't going to work the way you've got it. No, that makes sense. That's such great advice too about uh, people forgetting about not only are you only making 40 cents, but there's also tax on top of that. <laughs> and, so, uh, and so just like really doing a deep dive into the numbers. And like we said too, like knowing your lane too, like, yes, we can help you finance, but if you're still struggling with marketing and sales, you know, you got to <laughs> work, work on that on your own. Correct. Yeah. And usually we can tell people, like I can look at a sales call of theirs or actually we can look at, so we track those metrics. So we're actually, we look at the entire business model. So the first metric we're tracking is how many leads are coming in. How many people are walking in your door, going to your website, phone calls. Then we're tracking how many of those convert, right? And then we're looking at what's the average dollar sale. And that tells me what your revenue is going to be. But let's just say I'm looking at a business and they've got 10 leads and they need to sell 20 things a month you have a lead gen problem, right? So why do you have a lead gen problem? Or let's say they're getting 100 leads every month and they need to sell 20, but they're only selling 10. Now you have a conversion problem, right? Either we're attracting the wrong people or we don't have a good sales process or we're not showing them the right value or our pricing is off. Something's wrong with our pricing. And here's the surprising thing your price might be too low. Hmm. Mm -hmm. You might be turning people off with a low price. It makes sense. And I I like the analogy too. Like if you see a guy on stage, he gives this great presentation to a hundred plus people and you're, you you think he does a great job. You go up to shake his hand, say, Oh, I'd like to hire you. And he's like, okay, yeah, I charge a thousand dollars. And the person's like, oh, so you're not actually a professional. <laughs> like, uh, <laughs> you, you don't want to look bad by charging too low. Like, that, that, that's a real thing. I mean, just like in driving, the police can uh, arrest you for driving too slow, just like they can arrest you for driving too fast. Like, you, you have to find that middle ground. And speaking of slow and fast, too, I want to shift things a little bit. And I, w- I want to ask you about imposter syndrome. And, uh, you know, so you, you've reached a place that a lot of people want to be in where you love what you do, you're making a lot of money. How do you counteract your imposter syndrome where you like feel guilty for being where you are and just like being okay with receiving the sec- success that you have? I don't feel guilty, but everyone has imposter syndrome. If they don't, they're not at their edge. <laughs> yeah. Right? They're not every and I, I will tell you, I know a lot of people at the top of their game, and they all say the same thing. Like, Mm -hmm. I can't believe people pay me to do this. I can't believe this. I can't believe that they, everyone has imposter syndrome. It, it's just the reality of it. And you just have to get comfortable with it. And here's the end of the day. If people are paying you and they continue to pay you, you're not imposter. Oh, I I love that. Too just uh, just proves money talks. <laughs> money talks. It's the vote, right? No, that makes it's sense. Clear as day. So as we wrap up here, I have a few more questions left. One of the questions is: What are some non-negotiable actions for an entrepreneur to be successful? Manage your time. It is the one resource that nobody puts value on. Doesn't get tracked doesn't get like once a quarter, I go through my entire calendar for the quarter before. The reason I could tell you those numbers is because I go through my calendar and I total it up week by week. 
and I want to make sure that my time is in alignment with what my expectations are. And the other thing is learning to get stuff off your plate. Because if my time is worth $250 an hour, why am I doing $20 an hour work? Why am I not paying somebody to do the $20 an hour work and go find one more client or one more hour of work? I love that. Ma- managing your time. Yes, that, that makes sense. And then as a successful entrepreneur who loves, who loves what they do, what gets you fired up every day? Well, I'm just doing what I love. I have fun. Like every day is enjoyable. Like I don't have pain in the butt customers, right? I, if there is something I don't want to do, then I'm not going to do it. Like I built everything so that what I do, I enjoy. And I sit down and I evaluate that from time to time to say, do I still enjoy this? Is this still what I want to do? And if it isn't, then I stop. I love that. You have to have the freedom to be able to do that. Getting to, yeah, what gets you more fired up than actually waking up and enjoying what you do? (laughs) (laughs) That that makes sense. And you're helping people and, you know, it's in alignment with, my values and it's in alignment with my skills that are just natural to me. I love that. You know, like if I had to wake up every day and play golf, I would be miserable. <laughs> like that's just not, not at all enticing to me. You haven't got any clients from playing golf yet? No, no client. Cause I don't play golf. I don't, <laughs> you don't it. play golf. <laughs> it's a time suck. That's like five and a half hours. That's a half a day. Oh, it depends how you go about it. But yeah, no, I, I hear you. I've, I've uh, for most of my life, I've definitely been anti-golf. But as I get older, I'm, I'm like starting to enjoy a little bit more. But I also love basketball. So we'll, we'll see. We'll see what uh, <laughs> where it goes. So, well, this, this has been incredible, Rocky. Uh, as we close out here, last two questions. Tell us about uh, your your giveaway that you're offering with the... Uh, uh, the Profit First Toolkit. We'd love to hear about uh, that as people can access it in the show notes. Oh, so if if this whole Profit First idea is kind of new to you, you haven't heard of the book, if you go sign up for the toolkit, what we do is we give you two free chapters of the book so you can go preview it, see it, if it makes sense for you. We also give you, in in the book, Mike tells you your target percentages. So we show the the target percentages to you a lot of the trouble that one of the biggest problems people have is finding banks. So we, we give you a good list of banks to work with. And then we just kind of explain the concepts to you. I, I give you a handful of emails because I hate writing emails. So I don't have this 98 million email <laughs> sequence. You get a handful of emails. If it's something you want to follow up with, great. If not, we won't bug you anymore. I love that. Well, thank you. And and uh, what's the best way that people can get a hold of you, Rocky, if they want to connect with you and learn more? So the website is profitcomesfirst.com. And from there, you can find the toolkit. You can find the course. You can find the podcast. Where on the podcast, we teach much more about how to do this and how you can implement it. And we're constantly giving out tips and have guests who share how to help you be more profitable. Perfect. And Rocky, the last question for today, what's the one takeaway you want someone to have from listening to this interview? Oh, that's real simple. If you enjoyed this interview, would you hit like on there? Would you like leave a review? Would you share it on whatever social media you're watching it on? That's the one. And, And the second one is take action.
Yes. Figure out what you want to do and take the first tiniest step and make it happen. No, perfect. No, this has been an incredible interview full of amazing information. I'm excited to create these highlight clips uh, for the audience listening. Uh, thank you all for tuning in and we're excited for, to see you all next week for uh, another episode of Rapid Results with Andrew Weiss. So until next week, everyone, see you later. That concludes another episode of Rapid Results. Remember to leave a review about something you learned so others can share the knowledge. Keep being unstoppable in your pursuit of the lifestyle freedom you desire. And we'll see you next week.